Hello, everyone, and welcome to the New Books in Medicine podcast, part of the New Books Network of Podcasts. I am your host, Jeremy Kaur. Today, we will be talking to the CEO of Novant Health, Carl Armato. He is here today to talk about his new book, A Future with Hope, an inspiring guide to overcoming diabetes. Carl, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jeremy. I'm excited to be here and uh, share ideas and uh, thoughts and uh, with others that, uh, that might have uh, type 1 diabetes or diabetes in general. I wonder if you could begin the interview by telling us a little bit about yourself. Happy to. So um, I'll tell you, I'm 54 years old. Um, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at 18 months old. Uh, which back in uh, those days, uh, it was uh, very uh, tough to hear a diagnosis of type 1 diabetes at an age when uh, a lot of what you were hearing out there were people weren't surviving um, very long with type 1 diabetes. Because if you can imagine, back in those days, there weren't glucometers and uh, it was very difficult to even know what your blood sugar was, much less how to manage it. Um, so we didn't have... Um, uh, automatic, you know, insulin pumps or uh, glucose monitors, or uh, I can remember uh, at a very early age, we measured uh, blood sugar basically through a chemistry set uh, by measuring wastewater. So if you can imagine me growing up, I heard a lot uh, growing up as particularly as a young teenager and others about what my limitations might be and what uh, I might not be able to do because Unfortunately, I uh, had type 1 diabetes, which really I was blessed to have grown up with uh, wonderful parents who really uh, taught me, guided me, and really armed me with uh, the skills not only to succeed with diabetes, but to really go after uh, dreams and go after challenges and uh, take on obstacles that might be out there, which I will tell you now at 54, um, that was the beginning of uh, my journey into healthcare because it, at a very early age, I was so, uh, with a chronic disease, I was so uh, focused on caring for myself that it attracted me to uh, becoming a healthcare leader. And eventually now I've been running Novant Health now. Uh, I've been with Novant Health for 20 years. I've been running Novant Health for the last uh, six and a half years. And it's um, it's been a way for me to truly turn the type 1 diabetes, the chronic disease that I have, from an internal perspective to really help others. And how do I do that uh, to really create remarkable experiences and remarkable care for those in healthcare? And, and I'm very proud to tell you that it's exciting for me to watch not only how we've handled and treated all the diabetics. Uh, we have 90,000 diabetics inside of Novant Health that we care for each and every day. But it's exciting for us to be able to care for all patients and all people in a remarkable way. And so it, it's been an opportunity for me to take the disease of type 1 diabetes and really transform it into how do I help others uh, that might be struggling with uh, some type of chronic disease or any type of, of, of illness. So what inspired you to turn all of those experiences into this book? I was at an event where I had the privilege of being honored um, by the Triad uh, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. 
where they honored me uh, at that point in time, I'd shared uh, my 50-year journey with type 1 diabetes. And after the event, there was a young girl who, who came up to me with tears in her eyes saying that she hadn't heard anyone be so positive about thriving with diabetes. And this young girl, she was probably about 20 years old. She had probably, I think she told me she had been diagnosed at uh, the age of 10. It was really at that moment when I saw the tears in her eyes and the hug that she gave me, it was at that moment I decided to write the book. And, you know, for, for years, I had been taking notes uh, just in case my gra- my grandkids or great grandkids w- might be diagnosed with type one diabetes uh, in the future, and I wanted them to have experiences and have the really the opportunity to see w- what I did with my life and how I handled different situations uh, as I was growing up that might be difficult them for to learn in, in their own physician office. Uh, so when that young girl came up to me with tears in her eyes. It made me believe that my story could really help uh, a lot of people today. So that that's really, the book was written to help every diabetic or really every person that struggles with any chronic disease to know that they can do anything they want in life. And whether it's diabetes or another illness, it shouldn't prevent them from realizing their dreams. And um, I was able to share in my book how I realized my dreams um, with uh, a lot of hard work and a lot of uh, uh, diligence. So just so we can make sure all of our listeners following along have the, have a good foundation for the rest of the podcast, what exactly is diabetes and how does it affect you? Also, what's the difference between type one and type two diabetes and how common is it? Okay, so I'll let's start with type one. So first of all, at, imagine me at 18 months old. What happens is my pancreas just does not produce insulin. So a type one diabetic, there's just no production of insulin. At some point in time, the immune system has um, really attacked the cells in the pancreas that produce insulin, and now no longer do they produce insulin. So I'm not insulin resistant, but I just don't create insulin. So obviously the artificial insulin means you had at, at, at an early age for me, I had to take insulin injections. So uh, every day, twice a day, sometimes as I was growing up, it could be uh, three, four, five times a day. I would take uh, artificial, uh, artificially created insulin to keep me alive. Um, and over time, the technology really improved where I went from without having a glucometer, which measures blood sugar, to tell you how much insulin you would need, um, to now today I wear uh, you know, an insulin pump that actually automatically pumps insulin into my body based on um, a Guardian glucose sensor that actually measures my uh, glucose levels constantly. So if you can imagine going from not having any technology to having technology today, it, it really has, has been remarkable for me to be able to live uh, somewhat of uh, an exciting life and realizing my dream. So a type 1 diabetic has obviously no uh, insulin production. So a type 2 diabetic um, actually has a little different um, uh, issue 
there there are those individuals uh, are insulin resistant. So either through um, diets or lack of exercise or uh, weight gain, their bodies tend not to absorb insulin, the insulin that they're producing. So they are producing insulin. It's just their bodies do not absorb it uh, uh, appropriately. So they, without uh, weight loss or diet changes or uh, other kinds of uh, interactions with their physicians to be able to control their blood sugar, they also could be on uh, insulin, uh, whether that could be injections or even some of the same technology, the insulin pumps um, or uh, glucose monitors. And so uh, obviously type one and type two have a lot of the same uh, similarities. We may not have gotten to the same point in time, but eventually it's about diet. It's about exercise. It's about managing uh, blood sugars and constantly, uh, you know, assessing uh, our blood sugars and where we are uh, and, and monitoring uh, blood sugar control. So uh, obviously type one and type two diabetics are different, but a lot of the same behaviors and the same worries and the same fears and the same anxieties uh, are out there for both type one and type two diabetics. How common is type one diabetes? So, you know, type two diabetes is a lot more common. So when you look at Novant Health, we've got 90,000 diabetics. And the majority of those diabetics are, um, are, are tend to be type 2 uh, diabetics. But I will tell you that what we're seeing, um, you know, when you look at some of the studies that are out there, is with the way our diets and the way we're eating, um, particularly our young children, uh, you might have seen how uh, a lot of the school lunches were trying to become more nutritious. We're trying to get uh, sugary drinks out of school systems. But we're finding that more and more that type 1 diabetes is becoming more relevant in some of our younger children. And so um, it may not be, uh, you know, as common as type 2, but it's still something that we're, uh, we're really paying attention to, particularly the way our young kids uh, are consuming uh, sugary drinks, sugary diets, and um, maybe the lack of exercise. So obviously, uh, we're seeing more type 1 diabetics than uh, we used to see. So you said you were 18 months old when you were diagnosed with diabetes. How did how did you get diagnosed, and can you talk a bit about what that experience was like for your parents? I can. Um, so. Now, at 18 months of age, um, I'll, I'll just share with you what my parents uh, shared with me. So I was, uh, I was the second uh, child in the family. And so my mom knew something was different about me as an individual. I was always very thirsty. Uh, I was inconsolable at night. Um, she kept taking me to uh, a pediatrician because she thought something uh, just wasn't right. Unfortunately, the pediatrician at the time thought my mom was just an overly concerned parent. So my symptoms worsened, and obviously my mother knew something just wasn't right. And she actually took me back in um, to the office, but the pediatrician was out of town, so she took me to her family physician. And the family physician ran a blood test, and that was that moment that uh, the family physician told my mom, that uh, my blood sugar was through the charts, and I was hospitalized immediately. 
So if my mother hadn't gotten that second opinion, you know, my story could have turned out different. Um, but the diagnosis at that young age um, was very, very difficult on my parents. They were unfamiliar with the disease. Uh, unfortunately, they had to learn uh, a lot in a short amount of time. They changed their lifestyles dramatically. Um, so again, when I was diagnosed, there there were no glucometers to measure blood sugar. There were no pumps to automatically inject insulin. So again, my mother started monitoring glucose levels in my uh, wastewater with a chemistry set. And you know, it wasn't that wasn't easy to manage for them. Um, I'll tell you what they did though. I, they they really rallied together. Our entire family, my mom, my dad, my brother, and then my younger brother who joined us later. It, they just created a strong support system, um, and and they were there for me. Um, you know, throughout my entire life growing up with type one diabetes, they made life feel as normal as you could possibly imagine. And in in a time when you know, you were you were trying just to be normal, but everything you did every day was so um, not normal uh, in the environment. So, again, they they guided me, they taught me, they armed me with skills to succeed, no matter what the challenge or no matter what the obstacle. And I I got examples in the book where I talk about my brothers playing baseball with me because I I was on the baseball team and they being they were just there for me when my blood sugar might fall, they, they ensured that I had, you know, something to drink or some glucose to help me uh, perform at the very best that I could. So, you know, it, it was difficult, but at the same time, my family rallied to create an environment for me that I was more normal than I, uh, and made me feel normal in that whole entire process. How much time do you think was spent each day either managing or thinking about managing uh, your diabetes? Oh, even even today, um, there's a significant amount of time because when you're living with diabetes, I mean, you're, you're a 24-7 pancreas. You're having to do the job that a normal pancreas would do. So it's, it's really about if you're really going to take ownership of your, your diabetes and ownership of uh, being able to realize your dreams. I mean, you're constantly counting carbs, checking blood sugar, recording it, sharing data with physicians. You're, you're really learning and it's a continuous education. It's a vigilant. I mean, it's really a, a vigilant uh, in monitoring. You're, you're constantly monitoring uh, blood sugar levels. Um, you're, you're having to be flexible because the environment is changing rapidly around you. You know, one day lunch may be served at noon. One day it may be served at one. And it's constantly having the flexibility to adjust and understand how your body's going to react to, um, what's being thrown at you. So it's a, it's a really, it's a 24 seven, uh, job monitoring type one diabetes. And I say it's even that way for type two diabetics, but. What I will say is a lot of the new technology has made it a lot easier for uh, for us to be able to manage diabetes today. Can you share some of your earliest memories of of managing your diabetes for our listeners? 
Absolutely. So I can remember, um, so before I was 10 years old, I could actually, I could give myself shots. And um, I gave my own insulin shots. And I can remember the very first time, though, that my parents um, left me with my grandparents, who, by the way, uh, did know how, did not know how to give an injection. So I was, I had to go into the the bathroom to give myself a shot in my, uh, in my thigh. And I can remember uh, saying a prayer, trying to make sure I was going to be able to do it because I knew uh, my mom and dad were out of town and I was, I was the one that had to deal with it. And I was nervous. I was scared. I can remember, um, I remember the night so vividly because I was, um, I was sweating. I was, I, I just didn't know if I could do it. I sat there and looked at my thigh for a while and then I, I did it. And it was, um, it was actually a rewarding time because it, I realized at that moment that not only could I give myself a shot, but I could actually, um, handle diabetes if my mom and dad were not around. And so, um, it, it was, it was that, that's just one example of many where I really had to, um, to really, you know, have the confidence and to figure it out. That sounds like a very empowering experience. Uh, can you talk, you, you touched on it earlier, but can you talk about the importance of a steady support system like the one your family gave you? Well, it's, it's really, uh, I think it's the key uh, for a diabetic, um, whether you're a type one or a type two, to have that kind of support simply because you're going to encounter challenges and obstacles that um, are going to be different for each person. I can remember, you know, the first time I had a coach who didn't play me um, because they were worried that I might have an insulin reaction and during a game and uh, they set me uh, on the bench. Or I can remember a girlfriend who didn't quite she wasn't quite sure she wanted a future with someone that might have type one diabetes. And I can't tell you how having a strong support system, I could go home and have that conversation with my parents or my brothers and talk about, and now today it's my wife who, who really has become a remarkable partner for me in how not only she has educated herself on type one diabetes, but the things that she she knows what challenges I deal with every day, she helps me with those challenges. But being able to share some of your fears and some of your anxieties, and I describe that in the book, of having a, a team of people that that build you up and make you help you to deal with the obstacles that you might be uh, dealing with, is really the only reason that I was able to realize my dreams. And I, I share that in the book for all diabetics so that they can ensure that they've got a support system that when they do hit something that doesn't work out exactly right, if they do have an insulin reaction, if they do have high sugar and they need help, that they've got people around them that know exactly what to do, exactly how to help them, exactly the the right words to say that could really lift them up so that they can get back to 
the the goal of realizing uh, the dreams that they have. Let's talk a bit about or a bit more about what it was like for you growing up with the disease. Did you struggle with with self-pity or jealousy of friends who did not have it? Uh, Did any of your other friends have it? And were you pretty open about having it or did you tend to keep that more private? Yeah, so let's let's start with um I I'll share with you just a couple of stories. Um I can remember when I would feel really um uh down and I felt like, you know, why why me? No one else seems to have it. So I was the first one in my community at a very young age that had type one diabetes. So for for a very long time I didn't know uh, anyone else that had had it. So I would go to birthday parties and I was always the different, a different, um, kid. I was the one who, you know, couldn't have icing on the cake, um, and had to have a little small piece. Or when people were drinking Hawaiian punch, I was the individual that had a glass of water with maybe a drop of, um, so it was like a pink drink I was um, I was drinking and and the kids teased me. I mean I I um I I can remember having a lot of wondering why me, but it was you know that moment that you start to realize I, I became very athletic and I really engaged in sports and it it really is what helped me become very competitive in uh, sporting events so that I, like after the cake I could go and. I could play uh, different sports and show the kids that I was more normal uh, than they, they could imagine. And so that, that, that's an example, but growing up with it was, I did, there was a lot of times I would think about why, why am I so different? And I can remember my father though, he was a remarkable man. Um, uh, He, he's passed away, but he, he was a remarkable individual. He actually helped me. He was the individual who helped me take my own diabetes and he helped me to take it from that self-pity of internal viewing why me to helping how do I use it to help others. So he would help me to, to interact with other people. He helped me see other people who were struggling um, with different kinds of uh diseases or complexities. Um, and when I saw it, it, it really, it helped me to go want to interact with them or help them or be part of their day. And so he helped me see that, which is why today in healthcare, it, it's probably the main reason I'm so focused on improving uh, and delivering compassionate uh, care to each and every community member that we serve. It's it's that focus of I know what it's like to live with a chronic disease, and I want to make sure, no matter what people in our communities are struggling with, that I could bring um, that transparency, but more importantly, that um, understanding what it might be like to be a patient to help others in in that light. And you asked the question about, you know, was I open about it? You know, at first I tried to be. But I think because I grew up at a time where people weren't 
uh, as educated about diabetes, nor did they understand it. They knew people who had it maybe didn't survive long or maybe, you know, ended up with some kind of um, uh, devastating side effect from it. They were very cautious of it. So I tended to want to be open about it, but I found the more I was open about it, coaches and other people were um, more conservative with how they might uh, interact with me. So I began to hide it. And I'll tell you, that was a mistake. That was a mistake because I carried that with me into even my work life. I was worried that if people knew I was uh, a diabetic, they might not see me for what talent that I really brought to an organization, um, maybe something similar like what I experienced with, when I was on a, uh, an athletic team. Maybe they wouldn't see the talent, but they would be more worried about, should we put that kind of stress on him? Should we put that kind of pressure on him? And maybe not want to allow me to uh, deliver on some of the performance opportunities that I thought um, I was capable of. And then I, I really decided that I needed help. So there were times at work that I felt like I needed to be able to open up to people. I remembered my strong support system as, as my family was always around me. So I began to share with people in, at, in, at the work environment, and that really began to open up. And I'll tell you what it's done for me now as the CEO. It's actually opened up transparency throughout the organization. And I think we need more transparency in healthcare than we ever have. So it's been a great approach for me to be able to create this culture of transparency. Um, and I think it's great for all leaders to make themselves more approachable because I've let our team see my vulnerabilities. And I believe because of that, there's an ongoing dialogue where our team members are really open and appreciative of the fact that I really come from a real authentic, transparent uh, conversation, uh, not only about healthcare, but about my journey with uh, type 1 diabetes. How can people diagnosed with diabetes modif uh, modify their activities to live as normal of a life as possible? Well, first of all, I think knowledge is power. And I, start, I start with there um, because I think it's a continuous education. Uh, for people with diabetes and their support system. I do believe it's about taking real ownership um, over your health and not uh, allowing the disease to control you. I really believe it's about taking an active role in controlling the disease. And I really believe it, it's having a support system that gives you the confidence to figure uh, difficult obstacles out. Yeah, you, you need a support system that helps a diabetic um, deal with the obstacles each and every day that an individual faces. So that support system, I believe, gives a diabetic or a, a type 1, a person with diabetes confidence to really uh, take on those obstacles. I think you also have to have an ability to give yourself some grace when blood sugar readings are not optimal. Um, you've got to learn from what, what caused blood sugars uh, to, to, to rise, learn how your body reacts and adjusts to them. I also believe you've got to be very uh, diligent in monitoring uh, 
blood sugars. Um, you know, maintain activity levels and exercise. Um, having flexibility to figure out that the environment will change and you're going to have obstacles to face. Um, I think the other thing is having, for me, it's the strength to overcome your ego and to know when you need help. So those are uh, very key uh, opportunities. And then just realizing that every day um, is a chance to maximize health and life. And I, I share all that just to say that it, it's a it's difficult. It's not easy. Um, but I really believe that the whole point of the book is to help people know today that I'm an example and they can be an example of being able to accomplish anything they want, regardless of uh, some of the obstacles that they're dealing with. So you're going to hear a lot of people at times say, maybe you should take a different path, or maybe you shouldn't put that much pressure on yourself to realize the dreams that you want. But it, it's an opportunity um, to really to achieve those dreams. And I'm saying, and I'm here to say that, yes, you can. How did other people, such as extended family, teachers, uh, colleagues, friends, how did they see your diabetes? Well, once you got outside of my inner circle, um, my mom, my dad, my two brothers, um, you know, I, I never really wanted to talk a lot about diabetes in front of others because what I found is as I was uh, interacting with different uh, extended family or teachers and others, um, a lot of times that I, I became the diabetic versus Carl. And I was worried that, and this was, this was, a mistake, but I'm I'm sharing with you that I was worried that that's what individuals saw was the fact that I was a diabetic and that I wasn't, um, you know, the the individual that I wanted them to see. So it took me a while, but after a while, I started to help educate teachers and educate. Um, my extended family, who also then became a very part of the strong support system that I had. So, for example, conversations with um, certain teachers allowed me to have a file cabinet when I was in, uh, you know, elementary school and uh, high school and uh, middle school. I had a file cabinet where I could keep, you know, whether I needed uh, some glucose, whether that was a Coke, whether that was uh something to eat that was sweet, they would actually give me a file cabinet where I could store and keep that, those supplies, which helped me during a school day. If I had, uh, I saw my sugar was, was going, um, you know, I was having an insulin reaction. I could actually go to that file cabinet and they gave me keys to the cabinet and access. So that's my example. Once I started explaining and educating I found more and more people surrounding me with more support, which, you know, even today, uh, when I think about the individuals around me at, in the work environment, 
um, from my assistants to the people that I work with uh, each and every day, they're, they're there for me knowing that if I have a need, they can respond, which is, which is really that I think the, the strength and the confidence that an individual needs as you're dealing with some of the, uh, the, cha- the challenges of, uh, of diabetes. Can you talk a bit about some of the difficult incidents diabetics experience, such as diabetic shock and crashes? How often do they happen and, and how can you reduce the risks of them? So I believe with the technology today, um, you can head off a lot of uh, what I experienced when I didn't have the technology. Um, so if you think about not having a glucometer back in the day, you, you had a higher risk of having an insulin reaction because you were measuring wastewater with a chemistry set that was supposed to then you had to interpret into whether or not how what level of blood sugar you were experiencing. And that was very, very difficult. So my my chances of having um, a, a low or a high uh in a, in a crash was probably a little higher then. With the new technology, I'll tell you that I, I'm actually glad that I learned um, how to deal with diabetes without the technology because it, it helped me because I've had times where the technology has actually failed me. Um, so, you know, it isn't perfect. I've had moments where I've knocked out sensors, glucose, monitoring sensors out of my leg. Um, you know, I've, I've had times where my insulin uh, pump, I actually have gotten clogged. And so the, the insulin catheter can get clogged. And so, you know, you're, you can have different things happen um, it, when it unclogs and you've got a surge of insulin. So you, you can have a lot of things with the technology not work. And that's why I, I still have a glucometer and do the manual testing and the, the calibrating just to make sure I know where I am. So what I would tell you is the technology can be very helpful, but I wouldn't overly reply, uh, depend on it. And here, here's what I'm getting at. I'm watching a lot of diabetics today. They think because they have an insulin pump, they can eat anything and just pump as much insulin in. And, and that might work for some younger, uh, adults with type 1 diabetes, but all of a sudden, I want you to imagine you get to be older, and now you've got a lot of this excess uh, eating, you've got uh, excess insulin, which causes a lot of weight gain, and then you get you fall into a, really a lot of difficult issues with, uh, with weight gain and high blood pressure, cholesterol issues. So what I'm getting at is I think it's smart to use the technology appropriately, but still follow an appropriate diet and appropriate um, exercise and, of course, uh, appropriate monitoring of, um, of, of what your blood sugar is. So all that being said, you can still have a problem with crashes. And here's my example. If you don't pay attention to the technology sometimes or you think you've got time and you want to finish a task, you're out there, you could be working in the yard, you could be uh, wanting to get through a work day or get through a meeting and you you think you've got more time and the technology telling you to stop, you, you really need to monitor your blood sugar, get some glucose. You can actually have a crash 
quicker than you might think. So my advice is to always take the time, test your blood sugar challenge and make sure you understand what it's doing. If you see a trend of blood sugars dropping, you've got to stay on top of that before you get to a point where you might not be able to to take care of it yourself. So what happens, like for example, in my case, I've had diabetes for so long that I'm very comfortable having a a conversation even with a low blood sugar of 60. I'm I'm absolutely very uh coherent. I can have a great conversation with you, but I really need to address it before it gets to and it falls to 40. Uh, a blood sugar of 40 or a blood sugar of 30, because when it hits that point, which you can get there by ignoring it when it gets to 60, you can actually have a problem where that's when you need support. You need help. You need people helping get you uh, the glucose that you might need. So my my advice in all this is pay attention, take the time, and be diligent about understanding what your blood sugar is doing each and every day. Uh, there was a period of time where I actually uh, tested every two hours before I had the the, con- the consistent uh, glucose monitor. So my my point in that was I knew at every point what my blood sugar was doing, whether it was rising or whether it was falling. And I think it's important for diabetics to understand what their blood sugar is doing, pay attention to it, and react to it when they need to and not to delay. You talked about how the technology around managing diabetes has improved since you were a child. Is there any uh, research or technology on the way that you're particularly excited about? Well, so I'll I'll share with you right now. I use Medtronic's 670G with their Guardian sensors. And it's it's almost uh, a closed-loop system that you know you can calibrate the you you test your blood sugar with your own glucometer you calibrate the sensor and the the insulin pump and once it gets calibrated it can then keep you within a range of blood sugar within uh 30 to 20 points um so like for example my range right now is set from uh 75 to um let's say 150 and in that range, this closed loop is doing remarkable work of being able to do that. What I'd like to see is that technology perfected and eventually where the whole closed loop system is working on its own without a lot of manual uh, intervention from uh, the diabetic uh, or the individual with diabetes. So I, I just share that with you that I think the technology is doing great work. Um, there's still some things sometimes where it it could be uh, off uh, when you're looking at, uh, you know, calibrating it and you see there's a, a wider gap. You know, you you could measure it and you show your blood sugar at uh, 150 and it, it show you at uh, maybe, uh, you know, 70. And that to me, there's still some gaps in that technology. So I'd like to see that technology perfected where the calibrations are, are, are much more accurate and the the system itself can be almost a complete closed loop without without a lot of manual intervention and that would be exciting for all diabetics 
How has diabetes impacted your professional career? Well, as I said, my journey with diabetes is one of the main drivers for a career in healthcare. Um, I I truly am focused on now um, taking my own chronic illness and looking at how we can deliver compassionate care to any and everyone that experiences any kind of illness or chronic disease. And I believe that my lifelong condition with diabetes uh, has provided me with a unique perspective to running a health system beyond numbers on a spreadsheet or discussions at a boardroom. I, I believe that I've been able to look at the organization through the eyes of a patient and you know, create a remarkable patient experience through the eyes of, of real patients and not just as an administrator. And I believe we've been able, it's been critical, and it's been able to help us uncover gaps and opportunities to improve care that I think we otherwise might uh, might have missed. So if you can imagine, I enter every meeting, every decision with the eyes of someone with a chronic disease, which helps me to be a better leader in healthcare and allows me to truly keep the patient experience and impact at the forefront uh, of all of our discussions. You use the word refuse a lot in your book. Uh, this word has been a theme throughout your life. Can you please talk about that? Well, I mean, I was, um, because it, it was at a different time, um, different era, there, there was just so many times that I was told that I would struggle. You know, one one of the times I can remember, I went to a, I was a teenager, and I wrote this in the book. I went to the eye doctor to get my annual eye exam, and um, I shared, the eye doctor was asking me what I wanted to do in life, and I talked about becoming an accountant, maybe a CPA, um, and it was, I was sitting in the chair, and he was looking at my eyes, and he told me, he said, uh, Carl, that's not a good idea. And I, I think he would, I don't think he was trying to hurt me, but I think he really believed that he had seen so many diabetics and people with diabetes over his life that after about 20 to 25 years, uh, he basically told me that uh, I might be blind. Now, remember, I'm, I was diagnosed at 18 months old. I'm, I'm 14. I'm telling him what I want to do in life, maybe. And it was becoming an accountant and a CPA. And he tells me that's not a good idea, that I should do something where I didn't need my eyes. And I was devastated. I mean, I, I was just absolutely devastated. I remember that ride home. I didn't speak. My mom kept asking me what was going on. But I remember having that conversation with my dad when I got home. So here's that support group. And my father took me uh, by the couch. We got on our knees and we, we prayer was a big part of our life. And we talked about um, just allowing me to realize my dreams and that um, with the care that I was going to, and the diligence of caring for my diabetes, that I was not going to have those problems. And so now I'm, I'm 54 years old and I'm proud to tell you that I, I still have 20, 20 vision and I'm, I've not had a lot of uh, problems with my, um, 
with my eyes. And so it's, it's just a, an example of constantly refusing to, um, to hear that you can't do something and that you're really uh, focused on realizing the dreams that you've always had. If there is a parent listening who has a child that has just been diagnosed or perhaps someone who just themselves has been diagnosed, what advice would you give them? The first thing I would want them to hear me as an individual say is that I know what it feels like to wake up each day and still have diabetes, to still have to monitor blood sugar, to watch what I eat, and to acknowledge that I have the same fear and anxiety that they have. And I start there because I want them to know that I know what it feels like. I know what they're thinking each and every day of what they might have to deal with. But then it'd be at that point where I would want them to know that I'm a clear example of being diligent, owning the disease, knowing that you can manage it, and at the end of the day to never, never let go of the dreams that you have. And in the end, it's that simple. It's my book is about hope and I'm here to make sure that they hear me say, yes, you can. Well, Carl, I've taken up a lot of your time today. My final question for you is what are you working on now? What I'm working on today is really about delivering remarkable health care to each and every uh, community that we uh, that we serve. So whether someone has a chronic disease or, or is just dealing with a health care issue, I want to make sure they get the compassionate care that, that we've been working on for years. For example, we just did a search and rescue where we were able to uncover 6,000 undiagnosed cases of diabetes. And now many of those patients are getting the treatment and the care from our healthcare professionals. And so I'm, I'm excited about that. Those are the kinds of things that we're working on. And today we serve more than 90,000 people with diabetes. And my goal is to make sure every one of their diabetic metric, whether it's a hemoglobin A1C, whether it's cholesterol control, whether it's, um, you know, high blood pressure or, or that kind of, all of those metrics are in normal uh, normal control and normal metrics. And so the, the exciting thing is right now today, of those 90,000 people with diabetes, 68% of them are in that normal range of control. And our goal is to ensure that we get more and more of these diabetics and other people with chronic disease being able to realize the dreams that they have. That sounds great. Carl, I think it's safe to say all of our, our listeners will agree that this was an excellent conversation and you were a great guest. Um, I'd love to have you back on the show in the future, and I want to thank you again for being on the show today. I really enjoyed it. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Take care. Thank you, Jeremy. 